Thank you for listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, check out our website at stttimothysstores.org or visit us at 6 p.m. on Sundays at the Nathan Hale Inn. Amen, Father. We do believe, um, despite our circumstances, despite our situations, uh, despite what sometimes our hearts try to tell us, Father, we believe in your goodness. We believe in your faithfulness. Um, we believe that you are coming again. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. It's good to be together again cold and dark and rainy, but we are here together <laughs> and very foggy. So I invite us, as we dive into the scriptures today, I invite us to just kind of like shake off the week a little bit, um, to kind of leave our burdens at the door, kind of let it, let it go. Um, so I'm just going to invite you to just take a deep breath in and out and let go of whatever you came in with, whatever anxiety, whatever worry whatever pain or tension that you're carrying, I invite you to just envision yourself giving it to God. Um, Because He can carry it and you don't have to. And just one more deep breath in and out. And Father, we invite you to speak to us through your word because we are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and open minds. So Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Yeah, as I said, this is one of my favorite verses, and I think there's so much here. Uh, But we're just going to look at just a part of it. Um, 
and it's a it's a great verse for the first Sunday of Advent. Um, so, and if you've if you've practiced Advent in the past, if you're part of a church community that celebrates the church calendar or honors the church calendar, you know that this is a season of expectation, of expectant waiting for the birth of Christ, and um, where the church as a body prepares itself um, for the coming Christ. So it's a season of expectation, but it's also a season of uncertainty. Um, and now, having tried it, I understand the uncertainty of a baby coming. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't. It just kind of it comes. It happens, and you have no control over it. And that's the experience of the people of Israel. They don't know when. They don't know how. They don't know where the Messiah is going to come. Um, but they know the promises that He is on His way. And I can imagine that never in their wildest dreams did that they imagine that their Messiah would come through Mary. That wasn't even on, like, the list of possibilities. And this passage is famous for being the Annunciation. It's always called the Annunciation. There's beautiful artwork that has been done about this moment um, because it's the announcement of Jesus' birth. But I would like to suggest it's not just about Jesus' birth. That's how we usually talk about it, and that's how we usually explore it. But it's also very significantly about Mary. Um, She's not, like, a second Second, secondary character in this. She's a very primary figure. It's about Mary, about who God says she is, what God says she'll do, her call to ministry, her call to discipleship, and her call to give her life to serve God. So Raymond Brown is a very famous New Testament scholar, and he calls Mary the first Christian disciple. So the very first disciple of the New Testament. Um, because he says she is the first person in Luke's account to hear the word of God and to do it. And really, in a nutshell, that's what discipleship is. It's hearing the word of God, and it's doing what God has said. So in this passage, we can see that Mary is the first disciple, and we can, like Pam was just saying, we can follow her example. This is an invitation to follow the example of Mary, to hear as Mary hears, and to do as Mary does. So God tells Mary who she is and what to do. And maybe most miraculously of all, she listens and she does it. Because what God says to us about us is more important than what other people say and what other people think and what Mary thought about the situation and what Mary and what other people would have been telling Mary about the situation. And there's a pastor and writer, Dan McCollum, who talks about the three ways people understand who they are um, and what they're supposed to do in the world. So he says you can be externally oriented, so you understand who you are and what you're supposed to do through what other people say about you and what other people say you should do. You get kind of external feedback. You can be internally oriented or internally motivated, and so you figure out what you're supposed to do through what you think about yourselves, what feels right to you, what feels good to you, your um, strengths assessments, those kinds of things. Or you can be eternally oriented. um, And you figure out who you are and what you're supposed to do because of what God says to you and what God says about you. And so if our identities are externally oriented, then other people's opinions and judgments will wound us and derail us. A hurtful word, a critical comment, those kind of, those shape our sense of ourselves and they shape our ability to believe what we can do. And if our identities are strictly internally oriented, our insecurities, our anxieties, our pride will keep us from accurately seeing who we are and what we're going to do in the world. 
But Dan would argue that if our identity is rooted in who God says we are, if we have this eternal perspective, this eternal orientation, then we can know the truth about who we are because God, it's who God created us to be. It's who he knit us together to be in our mother's womb. And we often end up doing things we never imagined possible, we never imagined would be in our path. Um, because as we looked at, Gabriel says to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. So who does God say Mary is? When Gabriel comes to Mary, he brings this greeting directly from God. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So that might not seem that dramatic to us. We often will greet each other. Sometimes in church traditions, the Lord be with you and also with you. But as a young, poor, uneducated Israelite, Mary had probably never considered herself highly favored. No one had ever gone to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. At the best, she was average. She was unremarkable. She was looking towards an average, unremarkable life with an average, unremarkable husband um, and just kind of being just like everyone else. But despite what others would say about her, oh, that's just Mary, there's nothing that special about Mary, and what she thinks about herself, the Lord says she is highly favored and he's with her. And only three times in scripture is someone told, the Lord is with you. God says it to encourage Gideon not to give up the battle in the book of Judges. The prophet Nathan says it as an encouragement to King David to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant in 2 Samuel. And a prophet says it to King Asa to encourage him to tear down the altars and idols that have been built in 2 Chronicles. So each time, each time the Lord is with you is said to someone. Um, The messenger from the Lord says it to encourage, to literally give courage to someone who needs to do a mighty work for God. So this is not just a casual, the Lord is with you. This means you are being called to something harder, something scarier, something bigger than you thought you could do. But don't be afraid because the Lord is with you. But this is the first time in scripture, in all of scripture, that the Lord is with you is said to a poor Jewish girl who's not a king, who's not a warrior, who up until this very moment has never done anything significant, has never done anything notable, has never done anything anyone would pay attention to. But God has been paying attention to her. So greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. In other words, the Lord is telling you, no one else might notice you. No one else might see you. No one else might be aware of the goodness of your character and the pureness of your heart. But God knows, and God sees you. And he, the Lord of heaven and earth, the God of Elijah, the God of Moses, the God of Solomon, the God of great leaders and great warriors and great kings, he has seen you, he is deeply pleased with you, And he is with you. God spoke to this young girl like she's a powerful king or a brave warrior. And she's still just a young teenage girl. Probably illiterate, likely uneducated, probably has never been outside of her home village, never been very far from her home. 
And he has said to her that her eternal identity is so much bigger and so much more significant than she could realize. That he has plans for her so much bigger than her plans for herself. And this is Mary. This is Mary, the first disciple. And we are invited to hear like Mary, hear the Lord say to us, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And do as Mary does. And what does she do when the Lord says this to her? When he says, the Lord is with you. Young girl, you will be a leader. You will be a warrior. You will change the world. You will bring the Messiah into being. So, like Brent mentioned, she's deeply troubled. <laughs> she's, this is not immediately joyous celebratory news. She's afraid. She's confused. She's shocked. She's received a call she never asked for, a call that has been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, a call she never sought, a call she never wanted. And nevertheless, like we discussed before, her response is simply, may it be to me as you have said. She receives who God says she is and what God says she'll do, and she agrees with it. And she's not, she might be young, but she's not dumb. She knows what this is going to cost her. She knows it's going to cost her her reputation. She knows this will probably cost her her fiancé. She knows this could cost her her life. And at the very best, it's going to change the entire course of her world. But as the first Christian disciple, as the first disciple in the New Testament, she hears the word of God and she does it. She agrees with who God says she is and what God says she is to do, even if it doesn't make sense to her. And I think it's an interesting thing to just reflect on. What would you do in that situation? If the Lord came to you and said, I am with you. Now do this impossible, costly, overwhelming thing, which will completely change your future plans. Because nothing is impossible with me. Mother Teresa used to tell the story of the moment when God called her to work with the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. At the time, she was just a young nun and a very sickly nun. She had really fragile health. I mean, she was teaching geography at a Catholic high school in Calcutta. And when interviewed later, her colleagues, all they remembered about her was she was kind of sick a lot and she was sort of ordinary. So there was nothing special about Teresa, nothing notable, no sign that she would go on to be one of the greatest humanitarians of her age and possibly um, all of history. But then on September 10th, 1946, the sickly, ordinary, no-account nun, who nobody really noticed or paid much attention to, was riding on a train and she got a direct word from God about her future. And she would call this her call within the call. So she'd already been called to ministry as a nun, and now she's being called again into a deeper level. And as she recalls, the message was quite clear. I was to give up all and follow Jesus into the slums to serve him in the poorest of the poor. I was to leave the convent and work with the poor, living among them. It was an order. I knew where I belonged, but I did not know how to get there. But when that happens, the only thing to do is say yes. And those are powerful words. I knew where I belonged, but I did not know how to get there. But when that happens, the only thing to do is to say yes. So like Mary before her, Teresa heard the word of God and she did it. 
And at the time, she had no resources, no idea what she was doing, her health was failing, and she was already well into the school year. But regardless of all these impossible circumstances, all the reasons that she should say no, she said yes to God. And she would have had legitimate, reasonable reasons to say no. And just keep living the life she's living, keep doing the good work she's doing. She's already devoted to God's service. She's already doing the work of God for the people in Calcutta. But now she's taking on a bigger challenge, a bigger task. She said yes in the face of insurmountable odds because she believed exactly what the angel Gabriel said to God, to Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mother Teresa would reflect on this later and call herself a pencil in God's hand because she allowed him to use her life however he wanted as he wrote the story of the world. And I just think personally that that is a beautiful image and a beautiful metaphor and an aspirational goal for myself. I hope that at the end of my life I can say I have been a pencil in God's hand Um, and he has used my life to write a greater story than I could have ever imagined. But we often think of people like Mother Teresa and Mary as spiritual superheroes. They're so unattainable. They're just kind of like, you want to just sit at their feet and learn from them because you could never possibly emulate them. You could never possibly be like them. But we forget. We only see the end result and we don't see where they started. That they started as young, ordinary girls who are not particularly special or notable, were not particularly significant, not particularly celebrated. They were not honored in their community. They were not lifted above anyone else. They were not seen as, these are the people who will lead us into the, into the future. There was no sign that one day God would pluck them from obscurity and make them examples of faith and courage for the entire world. So Mary thought she'd be the wife of a carpenter. Teresa thought she'd teach high school geography. But because they heard the word of God spoken directly to them, and then they acted on it, they actually did what God said to them, they responded to the call on their lives, they became leaders who would change the course of history and inspired generations of people, believers and non-believers. So what makes them different from the hundreds of thousands of other people? Well, God calls them, so that's part of it. God called them uniquely and specifically. But the most important part of that is that they said yes. I would bet that there could have been a hundred Mother Teresas, that he could have called multiple people with the same call, with the same words, but they didn't have, they didn't have the courage, they didn't have the faithfulness, they didn't know how to say yes. They didn't believe that nothing is impossible with God. And we want to be people that hear the word of God and do it. We don't want the people who could have been, who could have done something great for the Lord, who could have served, who could have changed the world, who could have changed their community. And some of you may have already know and may already have heard God say to you, this is what you are to do, go and do it. And maybe you're in the middle of pursuing that. And if so, keep going. It is hard sometimes. Mother Teresa did not go from that train ride to being, um, being a worldwide, world-loved humanitarian. It was not just like, okay, got it. 
There were years of hardship, years of sacrifice, years of feeling alone and scared and overwhelmed. So if you've heard from God and you're in the middle of doing what he has called you to do, keep going, keep listening, keep asking, keep pursuing, and don't give up because nothing is impossible with God. Um, But for many of us, those external voices that we talked about and those internal voices that we talked about, they can drown out God's eternal voice for us. So we may be so distracted by what other people have said about us, what other people think we should do, what other people think we should be, what other people say our gifts and our callings are. Or we may be so focused on what we think about ourselves. Oh, I'd never be good enough to do that. I'm I'm not confident enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not smart enough. Or I am. I'm such a hot shot. I can do anything I want. That we can't hear God speaking to us, the truth about us. So we're going to spend a good chunk of time in reflection today because this is really a message that requires some soul-searching, some self-searching. And because we want to spend a little time inviting God to just quiet those other voices in our minds and our hearts and to reset our sense of identity and calling. So if we've been believing what other people say about us instead of what the Lord has said about us, and if we've been believing those voices of doubt or self-criticism or... Um, or inflated ego, we just need to repent and say, Father, I'm sorry. I've been listening to these other voices and not your voice. Please open my ears so that I can hear you. So we've given just a little bit, some exercises to listen, to repent if you need to, and then to seek and commit to what God has called you to do. And I would encourage you, if you hear God say, or if you know God has said, this is who you are, this is what you're going to do. Write it down today and read it again and again and repeat it to yourself. Say it out loud. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your, a note on your phone. And when it gets hard and when you get discouraged and when you think, is this really what God said? Is this really who I'm called to be and what I'm called to do? You are responsible to remind yourself because God has spoken and your responsibility is to do what he has said. So I encourage you, write it down today. Bring it with you, write it down somewhere else. But you are responsible to remind yourself. God has spoken and we don't want to, we don't want to forget what he said. So we'll give you a little bit of time, um, and then maybe we can share some of the things we sense God saying and doing.